Welcome to the Bamboo Pastors Podcast, a podcast that explores the joys and challenges of being an English-speaking pastor in a Chinese church. I'm Jalen Chan, and I'm here with my co-host, John Mon. Hey, everyone. Together, we host the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. We're glad that you're here with us. Come on in and have a seat at the table. Welcome to another episode of the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. I am sitting across the screen from John Mon. I am Jalen Chan. We are the co-hosts of Bamboo Pastors Podcast, and it's always good to see you, John. How are you doing? Jalen, it is definitely good to see you. I'm doing pretty well. I'm still wishing that uh, I was back in Chicago because even though we're recording on Zoom tonight, um, just I guess about a week and a half ago or a week ago, um, we were hanging out in person, uh, celebrating birthdays and eating good food and hanging out. So that was a really good, good weekend trip um, for me. And so I think that, that just brought me a lot of joy and uh, just good rest for my soul. Um, I think being home, I realized that I had not gone home for this particular weekend in a few years, actually. I think I'd only done it one, the first year I moved here. And then the last two, I couldn't make it back. And You're so, saying for your, for your birthday, yeah, right? For our birthday. For yes. our birthday. Yeah. 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 So, um, I, it was good to be home. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It was good to see you. It's always fun to hang out with you and just like we do, you know, obviously we do the podcast and we see each other on, on zoom, but it's different mm-hmm. of course. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think hanging out with you and your kids and, uh, in your brother's family and, um, his kids. And I just had a, a lot of fun hanging out with you guys and w- with our extended friend group, it was good to see people. I think I wish I, I always wish I had more time to see everyone. Um, and every trip, it feels like there's not enough time, but I, I did get to see pretty much everyone I was hoping to see. And then there were a few who will, I'll just run into them the next time I'm, I'm back. So. <laughs> Hopefully those people aren't listening to the podcast and they're like, why did you not want to see me, John? No, no, it was not because I didn't want to. It's because they were unavailable. So it's okay. not me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. How about you? What have you been up to? Yeah. I mean, of course it was great to see you and celebrate our birthdays together. Um, and then five days later we celebrated, uh, number three, his birthday, he turned nine. That was fun. Had a little party for him. Um, but this coming weekend, I know both of us are speaking at retreats mm-hmm. in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. You're going to be in Indianapolis yep. Yep. and I'm going to be heading up to Wisconsin. Um, and I've told you this before. I don't know if I brought, if I brought this up on the podcast, but the, retreat that I'm speaking at is going to be at a water park. It's an indoor water park. And uh, I'm pretty excited about it. They invited our family to go and uh, we'll get a chance to hang out at the water park. It'll be the the only thing is that I'm super concerned that, you know, obviously being at a water park is exhausting. Mm. Right. And especially with this is a family retreat. And so they all have kids that are gonna be at 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 the water park. And, you know, like free time is just water park time. But that means like during the evening sessions, we're going to be absolutely exhausted, like wrecked, mm. you know? And so I, I, I'm keeping that in mind as I'm doing my final prep for my messages. And I'm like, okay, how am I going to be able to communicate in, um, you know, in ways that are going to be engaging enough to where people are just, you know, because honestly, like I would be falling asleep. I, I don't know yeah. how, how we're going to be able to do it, but um, uh, I'll pray yeah. for you as you're on the retreat. You pray for me. It's going to be, it's going to be fun, but it's going to be exhausting. So you got to bust out those one point sermons, I think. 
just that's, one that's, point yeah. hammer it home. Yeah. yeah. And, or just yeah. like, we're going to spend half this time just praying <laughs> or being quiet before the Lord as you feel led. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the retreat that I'm, I'm on, uh, going to be on, it is not quite in Indianapolis. It's probably closer to West Lafayette. Um, but even then, I think it's in some even smaller town because it, the location of it, I've never heard of that town in Indiana. Where, um, where is it? I, I can't even remember right now. <laughs> I just know it's maybe another two hours from from West Lafayette or from oh, Purdue's campus. And so okay. it's a retreat for college students. So yeah. I do not expect there to be a water park wherever this retreat is being held um, like like you're going to. So, yeah. But, you know, I think the water park is great for your family. I probably personally would not have enjoyed it quite as much. And so <laughs> I'll enjoy whatever small woodsy retreat site that I'm at also. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, I'm, I'm excited for our guest tonight, Jalen. Uh, just a little bit of background. Um, our guest, before I share, talk a little bit about him, I wanna share how I actually met him. And so when we were in Houston, um maybe well this was like five months ago at the chc um collective the very mm -hmm. first day we got there uh, we walked in we had our name tags on and then someone walked up to me and introduced themselves and it was our guest today and basically he said you know hey i listen to the podcast i serve at a church in san jose which is where i'm at and uh just wanted to introduce himself and so basically uh we became friends there we've hung out since um that uh that collective in houston and actually just this past week we had our first uh gathering of you know ministers here in the south bay um, that serve in chinese heritage churches and so i'm really excited to have on with us helicon kwan possibly one of the most unique names i've ever heard but helicon is the english pastor at chinese for christ church of san jose and it's just good to have you on here with us i know we talked about the possibility of this happening like over the summer as we were hanging out and grabbing meals. And mm -hmm. I'm glad to finally have you on with us. Yeah, thanks, John. Thanks, Jalen, for having me on the Bamboo Pastors podcast. It's been encouraging. One thing before I forget, I just want to say if you're having people speak at a retreat where they're all so exhausted, I just have them all stand in the back. Yeah. Just have them all stand. Just do a standing <laughs> sermon. Yeah. Yeah. Move, move the chairs out. I'm already, I'm already standing, right? Just make them stand with me. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Might as yeah. well. That would help him not fall asleep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> if that starts to happen, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell people. I tried that a few times. So yeah, I had a group one time, just everybody standing in the back. But it was it was okay. I was I was okay with that. So nice. Okay. <laughs> I'll let you know if I do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a little bit of background. Uh, yeah. No. My my name is Helicon, and uh, currently pastoring at um, in West San Jose in Silicon Valley. And I've uh, been here for about six years at this church, uh, this Chinese Heritage Church. And formerly, I was for six, seven years in Santa Barbara, pastoring at um, uh, CEFCSB. It's like the only Chinese church in town at, at, near a university, UC Santa Barbara, which was formerly a number one party school. I went there. I was my alum, or my alma mater. And then before that, I think uh, I was in the Bay Area, went to seminary, Western and um but before that, I was back in Santa Barbara, and that's where I came to Christ and came to Christ in a college fellowship called Reality. And that changed my life, brought me into and then we didn't have a place to serve a bunch of us Asian guys. And so we ended up at a Chinese heritage church helping out with the youth group. And that's how we all got started, or my, my group of friends. And that became and led to a calling. So I was working professionally for about five years and then felt a calling into ministry. That's how I got there. 
Yeah. Sorry, I don't know if you asked me that question, but I just jumped straight into the introduction. <laughs> That's perfect. No. And I know that you've got a lot more to your story. Can you share a little bit about your journey with cancer? Um, uh, that's a, that's a part of your life that I know, um, even as we talked briefly before, uh, you know, we, we started recording, sure. um, that's a, a time in your life that is, um, obviously a, a big part of your story, but share that journey with us. How have you experienced God's provision and healing during mm -hmm. that season? And even now just, yeah, what, what that's been like. Okay. Well, yeah, no, I'd love to share. So what happened was, um, this is kind of a weird way to start the story, but I was, uh, I, I um, had gone to South America in 2016. I was kind of burned out in ministry after like four years at a Chinese Heritage Church. You know, you know how it is. Sometimes like pay sucks. <laughs> Sorry, maybe I shouldn't say that, but it was hard. It was just felt like very difficult, very exhausting. And then, so I decided to go chase a girl in South America. And so she was in South America at, at, at an Henri Nouwen's uh, where he learned English in Cochabamba. And uh, so I went to chase a person in Bolivia out of the middle of nowhere, this place that really doesn't like Americans. I ended up landing in one of the highest altitude places that you can land at an airport. And so I, I was in Bolivia, basically walking around for a whole week, trying to get to know this person, which it didn't work out. But I got to see where Henri Nouwen went to school, got to see some meet some amazing Christians. And over there, I just couldn't breathe. And so that lack of breathing. Um, but that time there was incredible because I was out of my comfort zone but I you know you don't need to speak any English but I, I don't even speak Spanish at all but I was able to just traverse by personal connection right with people in sign language or my sign language and in doing so I think when I came back I was like my nose I can't breathe something's wrong and then my friend said hey Helicon let's go to Iraq to do missions and I was like no I can't do that but then I had promised I was like in my time with God in, in Bolivia it was like a rest time and in that moment, I had remembered that conversation. I was in prayer, like that I wouldn't say no to God's calling to moments to live. Because I had, I guess before I moved to, went to Bolivia for that month or a few weeks, um, I had struggled with just kind of a dark time in my pastoral work. And that led me to kind of like committing to like, you know, daring to go out on a limb kind of thing. And so when I was in, um, when I came back, my friend was, let's go to uh, Iraq. Let's go serve the Yazidi people near Mosul, which is where like ISIS is cutting people's heads off. And I was like, no way, man, that's so gnarly. But then I think I remember that prayer, right? Where God kind of challenged my heart to, to dare to say yes. And where would I be willing to go? And so I committed, I committed to going to Iraq. And so this is part of my cancer journey because after I paid for everything and committed, and we had been planning with a team who had been serving these um, underserved people who don't know the gospel, I guess, in, uh, near ISIS um, in Iraq, um, I went to get surgery and the surgery, I guess they found some tissue. So the day after I paid my ticket, no refunds, the next morning I was at a checkup and they found um, cancer. And so the doctor basically said, Hey, I saw some weird tissue and I removed some of the tissue in your nose and it looks like it's cancer. And so, and that becomes like the craziest journey. Cause that's when you first get cancer, when they say you have cancer cells, you don't really know what it is. So there's a battery of phone calls, tests, set, calendar events, and you just are sitting in the like a blurry cloud of unknown for about a month, which is like days and days of different kinds of tests and checks. And so by the time everything's the dust settled, um, they f I found out I had a Hodgkin's lymphoma stage 2A, which is the moment I heard it, I was like, oh yeah, I can, I, I'm probably gonna live. And that sounds weird to say, but it's because like at that point, um, um, Hodgkins, you know, I, I knew some of my, one of my favorite hockey players, Mario Lemieux, 
he uh, had survived that and a few other famous sports people. So I was like, oh, yeah, as people survive this, I can survive. And so that kind of was my mindset. But like any cancer, you're just kind of um, uh, you're not sure what's going to happen, but how it's going to work. So um, in going into that, that was how my cancer journey started. And it was a lot of like unknown. But then fortunately, seeing, you know, God provided direction and clarity to it. So as the doctor kind of told me, they set a plan. And that plan became a process of care. And because I knew it was survivable, I, it kind of also, they were like, absolutely, you can't go to Iraq. So I realized maybe in that saying yes to God, that was actually preparing me for a journey that, um, and actually interestingly enough, the night before I was uh, found out about my cancer, I had volunteered to go into Mosul onto the other side of the town. Like, oh you know, yeah, they're like, oh yeah, you should probably wear, we're going to be wearing, making you wear a vest. You're going to be wearing the helmets and you're going to be with Kurdish troops. So you're going to be fine, but you're going to go and see what's the state. I was like, I'm down. I'm going to go, if I'm going to go to Iraq, I'm going to fly that far. I'm going to Mosul to see what happens. Right. Um, and I think that was like a, not a stupid fear. It's just more of a genuine belief that like, you know, I'm not afraid to, to live or die for the gospel. Um, sounds very heroic, but it wasn't, it was just more of that at that point in my faith, I felt prepared for it and so I think God was like yeah that sounds like you're you're pretty com you're pretty okay and so I think when he took me into suffering into cancer I think that was a a place I wasn't ready to handle and I think that was the direction that he ended up taking me so that's how I ended up finding out about my cancer and um and that's how my journey started so I proceeded to go through four months of chemo which is like four rounds it's like two times or two times a month every two weeks and um after that they decided it wasn't just enough. You needed to do another month of radiation or 20 days in a row, like four weeks, basically. So um, I did another month of radiation. And then after that, I've been, by the grace of God, cancer-free for the last five years plus now. And before that, you know, I was single, was struggling with um, just loneliness, kind of in pastoral ministry, you can be very lonely, especially and, you know, in my artwork, sometimes, and, you know, hoping to meet someone, it's kind of hard, especially in, I was in Santa Barbara, it was difficult. And but somehow, you know, five years later, I can look back and say that was a wonderful part of my uh, my journey. It shaped a lot of who I am today, and it turned a lot of things around. So I'll, I'll answer more questions about what I've learned, but hopefully that gives a little bit of background about my cancer. As you were uh, starting to share about this, you mentioned that even before entering into this season, like you were coming off a pretty painful or, or difficult season of ministry. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I'm just, I'm curious, like, did stepping into this journey kind of add to some of that, that pain? Did it, was it something entirely new? Um, and then maybe if, if you're willing to share, what were some of those things that were, you know, things that you had to really wrestle through as you were going through this, um, whether it was with the Lord or um, with your calling, things like that? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd love to share. I, I think, uh, 2016 was harder. That was the year before I went to Bolivia, like right when I was about to go to Bolivia. And the reason why I went to Bolivia was to get away and take a break for the first time in like four years of ministry. And I have a great relationship with my elders, my church in Santa Barbara. But um, I think the best way to say it was I was ready to marry the girl, but the girl thought I was awesome, but said, I'm not the right one. That's all. That's the best way our friends painted the illustration. So I had found that out early in 2016. It was like a heartbreak. Like you're dating this girl and you're like, you're not sure where it's going to go, but they close the door on you and you're not, you're, you're in this relationship because you're committed to marriage and they're not interested long-term. And that was kind of how I felt with the church in Santa Barbara. I love them to death. They're my home church. We have a great relationship. I left well, but I would say um, 
in 2016 was the door closed um, as the elders and I had talked, like their long-term vision didn't really include much thought about how an EM young pastor would fit in the plan. Even though for the last two years before that, we had lost a CM pastor and I had kind of filled in both sides. Uh, I was doing CM ministry work with translation and EM often. And so I felt like I'd given so much to it and it felt so disheartening to felt like a, a lack of connection or relationship commitment. And maybe that was God's grace to closing that door, open doors for other things. So when I um, was going through that, I felt so disillusioned with the church, especially with CHC churches. And I was pretty hurt by my elders and, and elders and deacons and especially the elders and the pastoral team that was there. There was only one other pastor, but he was gone. So by that time, it was just the elders and I. And we're great friends now, but I just felt like we weren't on the same page for the first time. And so that was a part of it. Part of it also, Santa Barbara is such a small town. We're a small church. And so loving us and supporting us through ministry was also very difficult. So it always felt like I was just barely getting by. And so, you know, it was one of the big things in my heart was fighting to just make ends meet and saying, hey, I'm not just fighting for me, but for the, 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 the pastors in the future coming in that you guys would know how to take care of them well. We're not asking for much. We're not, we're not greedy for profit here. We're just simply trying to make a, a fair living, especially in Santa Barbara, we're like in a, a like a bougie town, you know, and it's not cheap to live there. So that was definitely some of the struggle was that. And I think they were looking for a pastor more for the CM and the Chinese focus rather than for someone that might have been homegrown, who loved the church. And that kind of broke my heart. So that was the input. That was probably the reason that I became very discouraged. At the same time, by 2017, I was pretty at peace with like I'll wait till God opens the door. And I had no problem waiting as long as he, because I still had a place to serve, you know? So, yeah. How did, how did, um, I would imagine that coming out of that season of sort of loss or pain, um, that difficulty, that, that tough breakup, and then finding out soon after that you have cancer, like where did, where did you find um, support from a church family? Um, or was there support from a church family and what did that kind of look like for you? You know, like I, that's a really good question. Thanks Jalen. Um, 2016 was hard, but then when 2017 rolled by, I was already serving. I come back and I was like that, that two week break in Bolivia was kind of a renewal of like, Hey, you know what? We'll see where going things go. And I was, I'm naturally by, by, by nature, I guess maybe an optimistic person. I'm very exuberant and hopeful. And so I think I just approached life like, you know, I'm just going to invest in the people around me. And I had a lot of things to do. Felt like a lot of purpose coming in, like a lot of wind in my sail. Right. And I think that um, coming down from the mountain thing uh, from Bolivia, literally, it was like a lot of momentum for me. So when I came back, I think it just brought a lot of peace. Right. A lot of peace. And then so when I came back and when I experienced cancer, um, I think my church family has seen a different person come back. And so they were very, um, even though maybe you know, I felt like I struggled to live day by day. During that time, I never struggled. The church covered me with so much grace, whether it was food, but also the cost of, uh, of the medical care, the treatment, anything that exceeded it, the church always paid, covered me. I can't say enough of how much they loved me through that process that helped me so much. And the generosity of the saints, like there were people around me in the community just, just generously blessed me and supported me, whether through like sending gifts, whether sending support, and um, it was the friendships, but also just a lot of prayer. I think the prayer part was really weird to say, but when you have people say to you, when you're going to chemo in the moment and you're absolutely crushed, maybe for, 
one of the reasons was one time they, uh, one of the, the medical staff said, hey, we're going to have to add another month or two months of chemo to your thing. That was the last couple. And the person that did it, she just hadn't read the information well. So I thought I had to go to, to total six months, which is the original plan for my cancer. And I was crushed. And it happened to be that day, um, someone texted me right before my chemo. And even though I had to go do the chemo, I think that those moments where people timely interjections, because maybe spirit led them to pray for me or message me and contact me was some of the greatest moments because like, why would you waste your time? Like in the midst of your busyness of your life, people say they pray for you. It's, you think about it, it's actually pretty intense because they're busy. Like example, Jamin, you say you pray for me. You have five kids. I can't expect you to do anything. We have to take care of your five kids, but you stop your retreat planning, your pray, and you're, you're pausing all your life busy things. And you set some time aside just to pray for, on my behalf or for a friend. You know, that's something tremendous when someone would give time before the infinite, like to, to say, hey, I can't do anything else, but I can go to God mm. to help you. And that 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 understanding of that perspective really comforted me. So I had a lot of people would say they prayed for me. They would actively come. People would drive from like the Bay Area, from mm. L.A., just to spend some time with me, grab a meal. They would say, hey, we we'll just drop off food. We'll just say hi. You don't even need to see us. People would like dress up and like, I, I happen to have a company up here in the Bay called Adapt. I'm wearing a shirt, adapt shirt, but um, they actually made a shirt for me, cancer shirt. And so we fundraised for Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And that company, um, basically, um, a lot of my friends bought the t-shirts and they were always wearing them, posting on social media. So it kind of raised a ton of money for LLS. So it's kind of cool. So things like that just um, was such a comfort just to know you're not alone. You, you shouldn't you shouldn't go through illness alone. And I think when mm. uh, you go through cancer stuff like that, especially just don't go through it. And the other thing I would say, one advice is don't, don't read this stuff online. Just don't, if you hear somebody has cancer, just assume it's bad, but don't go online and read the worst case. Cause a lot of people will call me and cry and be like, Oh my gosh, you're going to die. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm fine right now. <laughs> it's okay. You know? So, yeah. Wasn't it an intentional decision on your part to really invite people into the journey, like right from the beginning, um, especially yeah. your church family, or was it something that, you know, just kind of happened organically as you were going through it that people really began to you know take part in walking alongside you with that oh you know that's, that's a good question i i'm not sure i think i'm just a little bit more of a drama queen so i'm like someone if i'm gonna suffer i might as well suffer not in silence but in noise <laughs> and then also i want to make it make the lord known through it so hmm. i had a choice like even when i shaved my head because i was losing my hair i was like i'm not letting cancer tell me when to lose my hair i'm shaving my head I'm going to work even if I'm sick. Like I'm going to take some weeks off. I'm going to preach on the weeks I'm feeling better, which I did. I basically preached halftime. It, was, I just, it wasn't because I was a workaholic. It was just more of like a middle finger, sorry, a middle finger to cancer, right? I'm not letting you tell me how to live, right? God's going to tell me what to do, not you. And so um, that was kind of part of it. And then I think writing about it was my journey could be an opportunity to build up others. And I, I you know, I was like, well, why, why, why would I waste myself? I'm sitting here mulling the whole time. Might as well, besides playing video games, like write, write something productive. And so part of that time I used to just to reflect and write down my thoughts. And and actually what happened was one of my good friends, who's now my colleague in my church, my Chinese pastor, his he translated my stuff into Mandarin, my first post, like which is about making when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. I, I wrote a, a verse, I wrote some thoughts on Philippians, like how Paul kind of dealt with it. And 
his suffering. And then um, he shared it with people and they passed it out to Chinese ministry side people and people in like China were encouraged. Like they were going through cancer, like, Hey, I don't have to be afraid. I, you know, help this pastor is going through something. And he's, yeah. he's super, he's super, he's super single and lonely. <laughs> hmm. And, you know, and I thought that was cool that I was able to encourage people. So that actually started more and more thoughts of like how to get involved. So then when I messaged people like adapt, uh, the owners of adapt, um, Evan, I said, Hey, yo, you know, like, um, I love your stuff. I've been supporting it. Can you, would you want to do something partnering? Cause he had gone through cancer. And um, so we partnered up and created a shirt. It was like based on Romans, like a verse from Romans about being conquerors. Um, and so it's hella conquer. My, my name is very easy to make nicknames and things. So it's conquer cancer, but it was hella conquer. So, or, yeah, or it's conquer cancer, but it was hella conquer was the hashtag. So that's my, that was my hashtag through uh, cancer. It was hella conquer. I feel like, you know, your, your story kind of, you know, it, it weaves in and out of ministry and cancer. And um, so I would imagine that your perspective on ministry changed, not just because you were leaving a season of mm -hmm. some, you know, heartache at a yeah. previous church, but then you get cancer and then um, working through that. How did, how did your perspective on ministry kind of change? I really like that you said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of do this on my own terms. I'm going to preach when I feel when I, I can, but, mm -hmm. but even now looking back on it, how, how have you kind of shifted in the way that you approach ministry because of what you've experienced? Oh, that's great. Um, I didn't even think about this, but I mean, something I had thought of when I was going through is I just don't take it seriously. It sounds bad, but it's like, if I finish a message, even today, to this day, I, I, I put it down. I don't think about it. I don't even worry about if it doesn't flow well. I mean, I'm just like, you know what? I've done my work. I'm not going to give it any more time. Life is just too short for me to spend every nuke and cranny of my minutes in my life stressing about something that I can't always control, right? And something we already know in scripture and what Jesus says. But for me, it was, yeah, like, like that was one big thing was just, I don't take it like it's everything. It's not everything, right? There is a life still to live. If I'm like Paul and Philippians still called to live a life, then it's for God's glory. If not, good, I'm gone, right? I'm, I'm out, right? That sounds very holy, but it's not. It's just more of like, there's really no, it's just left or right, man. It's not, there's no like, you know, I don't want to sit around burning time being unhappy. And that's the other thing. It was like, it led to a life more of thankfulness and gratitude. The posture of just like, you know what? Life is so short. Every minute I get, let me say thank you. Let me say thank you more often than that than I can ever say it to the people around me because I am grateful. And if I never said it to you before, I'm going to tell you. So before I forget, you will never know, you will never not heard from me. A moment where I said, hey, thank you for doing this because I meant it and meaning it. It's not just gratitude. It's just grateful for every minute you get and then being grateful to express it and communicate it to the people around you and say, hey, I love you. And I want you to know that it's true. <laughs> so something like that, it's just those things that you want people to hold it because you realize it could be taken so quickly. You know, it's a few years before that we had a, a one of the early school shootings. IV, Isla Vista had a major shooting. I was on campus. We were locked down and I, I was part of the team that kind of had to deal with a lot of the care and counseling that happened in, in Santa Barbara. Right. And I mean that, but it doesn't hit you until you personally go through some sort of uh, illness and struggle. So gratitude was a huge thing for me. It's just being thankful to this day. I, I, things, I, I look at things like that sucks. That sucks. That happened for you, but you know what, you know, I'm very thankful. I'm just grateful. I'm grateful that, you know, we don't have to take it, hold it so tight. Because life can be snatched at any time. Yeah. Sounds weird, but yeah. Yeah, you know, I think, Helicon, one of the things that I was really encouraged just hearing your story 
is how um, you know your church family and, and friends really came alongside you in this journey. And I, I want to make sure that I'm getting the story straight, but the church that you were at while you were sick is the same one that you had some painful moments with before taking your little break and going to South America. And so I just feel like there, that's, that's a, such a, you know, uh, an incredible testimony that it can be a place that has caused pain. And then at the same time, be a place that brings restoration and healing. And, you know, I like, I mean, I don't know if you've had time to dig into that more um, even like, years later, whether it was like, did God change something in the church? Did God change something in you and in your perspective? Was it, you know, like some of the circumstance that really sh like uh, unleashed your church to care for you in a way that they hadn't been able to before? Um, but I think just as I hear you share that story, I that's, that's a really um, a fascinating one to me. And, mm. and I, I'll just add to it that, you know, for myself, um, my dad uh, had cancer in his 30s and, yeah. um, you know, this was like 1990. And so very different time in medical history then mm -hmm. versus, you know, in, you know, in the last five, 10 years. And so um, he was sick. He went through some treatments, uh, surgeries, and then he, he did eventually pass away from from that cancer mm -hmm. battle. Um, but, you know, even though I think the outcome of that journey is different, one of the things that I, I've resonated with because I've seen it in my own life um, mm -hmm. is that our church family, the church that Jalen and I grew up at, they really cared for us. Not just that church, but our church in Chicago, the church that my dad was pastoring in Hong Kong, like both of those churches went above and beyond really caring for my family um, and not just during that season, but even afterwards, like after my dad passed, um, caring for my mom and my siblings and I like for years and still to this day, I would say caring for us in many ways and showing us a deep love, like for our family that that I don't think is from like a human. That's not a human thing. I think it's something mm -hmm. that God puts that love on, you know, his people's hearts. And mm -hmm. I guess all this to, to kind of get to this question that I was hoping maybe you could kind of speak into is, you know, I, I think for me, I always connected like the care that we experienced from our church as something that was specific to the church that we were at. Like there were people there that loved us, that cared for us. But I also think there's a little bit of that is there's a part of who we are as the Chinese Heritage Church that I think sets us up to care for people well mm -hmm. in in some ways and so i was wondering if you could if you could maybe just like expand on that a little maybe how you've seen that in your own life and in your own story like what are some ways mm -hmm. that you feel um that the chinese heritage church is really well equipped to care for those who are sick and suffering um, yeah. or maybe specifically suffering with long-term illness you know I think uh, I, I haven't processed this much, but I did write some stuff down. So I did kind of think uh, I did. And as you're saying, even I'm writing things down because I'm thinking about it. But my first thing I wrote was like, it's like a Chinese parent. They like they they're hard on you. They're stingy sometimes. But then when you're sick, 
or like you need to be hungry, you need to fed, I'll feed you. I'll always be there for you. I'll always give you that home ball, right? And so there's that sense of just like, I think culturally, uniquely are who we are. It's, it is a very big cultural part. It's probably the beauty of maybe the Chinese heritage church is it does bring some of the, those best things and it's multiplied by the, by the work of the spirit, right? In our hearts that, that, you know, Christ puts on our hearts to love generously in those moments when we need it. They might not know how to say it, but they'll show it. They'll show yeah. it, right? And I, I definitely felt that. And I think our, our church, especially Chinese churches, you, I, maybe not every Chinese church, but you know, a lot of Chinese churches, they're just, they're very secure because they're all about making sure that they have a strong base of secure financial um, security, right? So like whether buildings or pockets, I think our church was faithful to stewarding the resources to be given. They may not be pro as crazy active as like maybe the Western church in some ways, but the Chinese heritage church will always withstand storms because they are prepared for the long term, right? They're there for, they're going to be there for hundred years kind of thing. And um, I think our churches have that ability to open up that pocket and say, Hey, this is a moment where you need help and we know you, we love you. And I think that's something that like, I heard that during the CHC, which is so true is I think Enoch said or someone else said time, Time plays a huge role. And I think um, uh, my time there was uh, Santa Barbara. I was there for, um, you know, even though I left for many years, I had built such a rapport, such a relationship with the parents of my youth who, and then the parents became my elders, became my colleagues. And I, we prayed together for many years. I think those friendships and those connections are like almost family. And once you become part of the tribe, I feel those things play such a big part in, in um, things that we do. And especially as an Asian culture, I think that is big. You know each other. If you know each other, it's much easier. I, I just had missionaries come speak at our church and I, I explained to them, like, it's not just that you come and ask for money because you can do that at any church, but come with this desire to build a relationship and long-term because we're there to get to know you. And that's why when we put money into you or, and it's not about like getting return, it's more about we want to support you and know you and know what you're going through. And so I think that's something that can be very beautiful about the Chinese church. But at the same time, the, the sucky part, I'm sorry, the curveball is the Chinese church can be kind of annoying is that then you have all those old people that will say, hey, like maybe your cancer happened because you eat too much, you know, giving unwanted advice. That was the other thing. I, I, just not helpful stuff. So on the other flip side, you get good comes with some of the stuff that comes from the cultural things, which is they're trying to always find a causal factor for your illness or your struggle. Well, maybe you shouldn't have done that. Right. And they give you advice when you don't ask for it. You know, some of the old people or they slip it in somehow as they give you like nice support so yeah and no, that's a good question and good thoughts I, I feel like it is like a Chinese parent it reminds me of a Chinese grandma or something that says you're fat and it feeds you a ton of food that happened a lot for me <laughs> well, that's good what are some things practically that pastors and congregation members can do to care well for those who are battling cancer and I know you you also just said some things not to do like don't go online and search up the illness and you know bring yeah. up all the 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 worst case scenarios but what are some practical things that pastors and congregations can mm -hmm. do so i mean there's some things i'll say that will be i think somewhat general but i think you'll understand as i unpack it i say don't try to find a cause don't try to find a reason for why you don't try to extrapolate the reasoning behind why they may have done it and don't you don't have to try to link up like why does this happen why did god let this happen? perhaps it's the sin in your life you know like job job's bad friends and so i think that's not helpful at times i think to, to say you love someone and to let them know it is a huge part and it's not having to explain out or figure out why the thing happened um 
presence is important, absolutely essential. And I think in the midst of presence, you know, there's discernment, but to not avoid discomfort of entering the space with the person going through it. Now, the person might be testy, like might be moody, might be not willing to talk, might give you some anger, might slash out because they're going through discomfort or under in pain, right? But oftentimes because of that, we stop helping. We stop connecting. We, we say, hey, you know what? It's too awkward. And it's more selfish. It's like, oh, you know, I, someone else will take care of them. Someone else will, will love them. And so I just have to say, hey, I care about you. And I'll stand aside because I'm not sure. I don't want to make it worse. But you know what? And looking back, I would say, yes, it's hard. It's uncomfortable. But that is even more what it looks like to, to love in Christ is to enter what you are unwilling to go into, if not for the grace of God, working somehow in that buildup. And and I at times did not want to repeat the same story. Oh, yeah, this is what happened. This is what I'm doing this week. But you know what? I, I, I might in that moment have been impatient. But over time, I was like, this person made time to come and sit with me just because they wanted to know my story. They didn't have to explain. They just sat with me, let me cry, let me be bitter and and and, and yell. And but they they were there, present. And I think that presence, oh man, that has helped. And it doesn't mean physical. You can be present just by a phone call. You can be present by texting me when I was going through chemo. You could. There was a person, a pastor. It was weird. I met him once. It was a, in the middle of the night. I was absolutely crushed. I actually wrote a post on it. Um, it was the night I found out like I had to keep continuing my chemo. I was so, that was the hard, that was like one of the darkest nights. And at like one in the morning, I, I opened my, I, turned, I get on Facebook and then it happened to be that pastor was on there and he messaged me. He just said, Hey, I've been praying for you. And how are you doing? And I just laid it out with him. And that, that got me through the night that got me through the, the rest of the season. And I never said enough thank yous to him. Uh, pastor David in uh, Torrance, he's bred a life. Um, he, he just, it was a really random connection and somehow that comfort was so helpful. But um, those are the things I think that could really help. Um, you don't need to ask updates all the time. They might not want to share, but don't be discouraged if they don't share. And But just be with them and be willing to stand in that discomfort with them is a great gift. And and of course, anticipate needs. So if you, you see something they might need, just look out for them, right? Go out of your way to help. It helps a little bit. So, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Helicon, I'm going to throw this question in. Uh, we did not talk about this uh, mm -hmm. earlier, but I think it's just something I've been curious about. And I feel like I've heard bits and pieces of it, but mm -hmm. hoping for you to kind of collate and articulate it all together at once. You, you've talked a lot about kind of the external response to, um, you know, being being sick and and how um, you saw the Lord's provision and saw people really came mm -hmm. for you, your church family, people yeah. coming alongside you. I, I'm just wondering also if like internally was there, you know, did you go through um, seasons of wrestling with the Lord? Oh yeah. Um, because yeah. of this. And, and if you could maybe just speak a little bit to that, I know maybe the, the order of questions, we could have put this somewhere else, but okay. it just, occurred to me that we probably want to dig into this just a little bit with you mm -hmm. and you know what what was that wrestling like and especially i think because you've used um you've you've mentioned the story of job uh in what you've shared i'm curious like was there specific narratives in, in scripture that you felt like really spoke mm -hmm. to your heart in this season 
And yeah, what, what was that like for you? If you could just, if we could just add this in. Yeah, no, that's a, I mean, I think um, kind of, it's a natural progression, right? We, we, we go from the outside and we move ourselves to our heart stuff. Um, I would say there was, it was definitely wrestling. There were times of it more. I think sometimes people don't realize like we're trying to be strong for the people around us that are grieving. So we try to put up a tough, so we're fighting to feel better. And we're also trying to make people feel better by not feeling like we're sick. And I think one thing you, you see is that um, you have to let go of just being you, like being whole and realizing that isn't going to be okay anymore. That you're never going to be the same. Like I can't go out and stand in the sun without sunblock. My wife and I are very careful. Like I'm not in the sun, direct sun for too long. I just don't want to encourage cancer in any form, even if it's skin cancer. And those are things that changed in my life. I can't go deep dive, sea diving, which I wouldn't anyway, but you know, things like that. But I think the internal change that happened was there was moments of great wrestling. I, I think um, there was, there was one night, um, it was early on. I still was figuring out all the cancer stuff. And I, I started talking to a girl at our church at that time. And it was weird. I don't usually do that, but like, well, I don't ever do that. But <laughs> this um, sister was at, from our Chinese ministry was there and, you know, we became friends and we started to talk and it looked like it was going somewhere. And then I found out I had cancer. And so that person that night, I think specifically had decided to move, like pursue someone else or get in a relationship with someone else. I was crushed. So that was happening. My cancer was happening. And I just was like, why God? I'm like, Joe, you stripped everything away kind of thing. So I had a Jovian moment where I was standing outside looking at the stars and going kind of mad at God. It was probably the only night I shook my fist at God in that moment. And yet God was willing to give that to me. And he loved me in the midst of it. And I felt like that was awesome that he would be so gracious. But I think the reality was I realized I could be bitter and I could live a life of just turning away from everything that I thought I knew, or there could be a realness to this savior that is not theoretical. It's genuinely true and real. And I think that's what happened. I think for me was, it was a road in front of me, crossroads. I can become warped, dark, angry, and bitter at this world, at God, or I could walk in faith, not by sight. And maybe in this moment, this is really genuine faith, right? Depending fully on him when you have nothing left, not even your natural health that you've always relied on, which I always had. I was always the strongest guy in the group or the healthiest guy, I never had an illness or kind of thing. And I think, I think something I heard was that I had to kind of see that my faith in him had to be bigger than the fear of all that was going on in my life. So faith had to be greater than my fear. So that became a refining moment that changed a lot of things. It solidified what was important, what wasn't. And then things that became were theoretical became much more tangible. So when I started writing or preaching, it became much more tender, maybe even more like, I know what I'm talking about. Not because I'm better than you, it's I'm holding it closer, right? Not because I'm closer than, to God than you, but it's more like I've genuinely held it. I've held it for real. It's not like before I would say, I pray for you because you're sick. Now it's like, no, I've gone through cancer. I actually do a lot of cancer calls with people. I don't even know people. So now I just go straight in and I meet with people that are going through life-threatening cancer. And I just sit with them and cry with them. And I talk with them. And because we've gone through chemo together, even though it's different chemos and they're all different, um, they're like, this guy is more legit than the guy that just came talking to me because this guy's been where I've been. And I think that's a gift. So I've become like a missionary in a sense to those people that I don't, other people couldn't touch, you know, mm. and I'm grateful for that. So that was my mission field eventually at some point. And, and, and I think texts that became real for me um, was, um, I think Job definitely became real and just his crying out to God. And yet then God not giving really a direct, there's not a very comforting answer. So then 
Job kind of alludes to our hopefulness in Christ, right? And then we have to, we get an answer that Job didn't get kind of, we only get the question mark. Yeah, well, I don't know, right? God knows, <laughs> but um, Paul, Paul was a huge thing. Paul in Philippians, Paul in the prison epistles, Paul in Philippians one and two. Um, there's a t- the verse, I have it right, written down just so I can recite it, but um, right before the to live is Christ to die is gain. Philippians one, verse 19 to 21, he says, for I know through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And that is how I felt. I felt um, mm-hmm. that the help of the spirit and through their prayers, through the body of Christ's prayers, those two parts brought me to some measure of understanding the deliverance that he had promised. And and in it, from you know the, the whole thought to live as Christ, to die as gain, that kind of became really real. So Paul processing his suffering and yet finding great trust in God. Oh, man, that kind of clicked for me. And then because in 2016 and 2015, I had wrestled with, I would say, my my fit in CHC, but it was also the idea that am I just a failure or, or am I beloved by God? And I think that understanding my belovedness led me to this. So when I hit t- cancer, I look back and I say 2017 was hard physically. 2016 was my spiritual, emotional battle, right? Or it was a right difficulty. So when I got to 2017, it was just practical. It was more like now you have to kind of go through this test, like this refining moment of, of, of sanctification. And so when I approached it, I had already a mindset like, if God is real, then this is going to be the way it's going to happen. And I'm going to trust him. And now I say this is the best thing that ever happened. As literally, I can say to people, cancer was probably one of the greatest things that ever happened in my life. Hmm. Besides, of course, my beautiful bride and, of course, my son, Micah, um, I would say cancer um, really made God so real to me and so personal hmm. and so comforting. And so now to this day, I might not pray as hard as some of the guys I know. I might not. I don't care. I just don't care as much about the, the worldly fame. I, if you knew me in 2012, 2014, I was kind of always trying to get known because I, I wanted, but I was in Santa Barbara, but before that I was like, I cared so much about reputation. And then somewhere in 15, 16, it, it was that desire just to get away and be ordinary and be okay with the faithfulness in that. And I think 2017 showed me in cancer that I just need him. And if I have him, I have everything. And, and since then, that's how I look at it. So when I do ministry now, it's like people ask me, like, do you want to do this? I'm like, I have no desire. I don't worry. I never think about it. I just, I'm here to preach the word and disciple people well. And if doing those two things, I do it well, then by the grace of God, I'll be known or not be heard. Right. And I don't, I never seek after it. So being approached by you guys to do, um, to share a little bit about the story. I didn't, wasn't planning for it. I just thought that was a chapter that closed, but I was grateful that I had it. So now I get to tell others, I hope that they will be able to have a chapter to tell, to, to live it and to say, Hey, God is really real. And then but then it's never, it's not everything because cancer isn't the end of my life. It was a part, part of my life from 2017 and I still deal with it, but I come back with footnotes, right? But then it, that's 2017. And mm-hmm. now in 2023, you know, I have a, a, a one, a baby, a baby, um, my wife and I, and my wife, she's gone through physical, she has a genetic thing and we both struggle with illness before. So we both were felt imperfect, but God, somehow God brought these two imperfect people and we were able to produce something very beautiful. Uh, it was amazing. And so I, I never take it for granted. All of this was a gift. And so recently, even we lost, we just had a miscarriage and we're still going through it right now, but you know, God is still good. And we both can hold on to each other and say, yeah, we can cry tears and yet still praise him. It's a weird place to be, right? In that weird paradoxical middle space, liminal space between trusting God and yet grieving what we don't understand. So, 
Yeah. Super rich. I, I feel like that's such a, a wonderful word for us. And, um, yeah, deeply encouraged by that. So thank you, Helicon, for sharing your story. You know, as we wrap, we, um, we always ask a question, what is one piece of advice or encouragement that you would give to someone that's currently serving in the CHC? And I know we've talked about a lot of different things and, um, this question doesn't necessarily have to fit in or tie in with, uh, what you've shared or your story, but, uh, I'd just love to get your, your thoughts on this as we kind of close out here. Um, I, I mean, I wanted to chat with you guys more about that to get your guys' wisdom, but I, I feel I'm, I was kind of crazy until I went to CHC and I was like, oh, I'm not alone. And maybe I'm kind of still kind of crazy, but I feel like I'm not alone in going through the pain or the, the joy of seeing things, the hopefulness. But uh, I think one thing I came to learn, and it was something that I was confronted by, was a question that God had put on my heart um, maybe last season, which was, um, are we seeking what is we believe is good for the CHC, right? What we think is best? Or are we ultimately desiring what God ultimately wants to do? with chc with the chc with the chinese heritage church and i have to be very careful i'm navigating that my ambition my desire to see something happen to be build something that's like my memorial of what i've done versus what christ is genuinely desiring to do through the chc here mm -hmm. in west san jose i'm not going to say anywhere else because i can only uniquely speak on silicon valley and what i'm dealing with here and that's the question mark i have to daily fight against my natural desire to make myself known and glorify myself and i really need to fixate on building up christ and his kingdom so that's something i, I asked myself so if i was to say if there's one piece of advice I, encouragement is just to ask that question every time you assess every decision you're making are we doing this for the kingdom ultimately or for what we think is right and we have to be very careful there's a, there is a fine line where they're both okay right you're going to be doing something great for the lord you know but make sure it's not just out of our ambition that we wanted this to happen and so uh, a posture of grace and humility and and listening and coming alongside the cm i think it's a huge part of of doing things i i can be very combative with the cm because i'm very blunt but at the same time um i want to hear their side and we can't just say you adopt my strategy it's like no we we have to come to together to find something that will move us forward as a body of christ so hmm. and some thoughts that i would get, yeah. pass on I love it, Helicon. Thank you so much for that. That was just a, a good word, a good reminder right there at the end. But I think just in general tonight, your your vulnerability and, and willingness to really share from your experience, which um, is not a perspective that we've had on the podcast before. And so I think Thanks, um, it was great for me just to hear some of that, uh, a little bit more of your journey in detail. And then um, to share that with our listeners. I really appreciate that. So thank you for coming on with us tonight. It was good having you on. I'm sure we'll have you back on at some point. So mm. thanks for hanging out with us. Thank you so much. That's the end of our episode. Thanks for joining us today on the Bamboo Pastors podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the pod on whatever platform you listen to us on. Rate and review us and check in every week as we explore the joys and challenges of ministry in the Chinese church. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bamboo Pastors. See you next time.